Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, and I am your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart. My name is Brother Marty Leeds. Welcome, everybody. I'm your Beecher Preacher. We are coming live from Beecher, Wisconsin. That's right. It looks like it's a sunny day, which is pretty nice. And we do service every Sunday, as you guys know. That's why you're here. 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. If you would like to join us, it's an excellent group of people, as you can see. Uh, a bunch of upright, virtuous, loving, caring, genuine people who don't take any shit, and we love it. So thank you all for being here today. We got a good one for you. We're going to do Matthew chapter 8, Let the Dead Bury the Dead. And we'll talk about what that means. Okay, so let's do a prayer, and then we'll launch into it. Loving Father, bless my, bless my family with peace today. Bless them not just with worldly favor and all they seek to accomplish, but with hearts and minds filled with your loving kindness. Protect them and guide them in all, all the decisions that they make. God, as I wake today, give my eyes to see the blessings that surround me. Let me find contentment and joy in everything you have given me. I know you have a plan to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me hope and a future. Amen. All right, like I said, we're going to do Matthew chapter 8, and then we're going to do this one, and then next week we're going to do a live stream, and I think it's going to be called The Geometry of Good Thinking. The Geometry of Good Thinking, and it's something that I think people desperately, desperately need. Uh, it's a lesson that people desperately need in helping them understand all sorts of topics like epistemology and uh, the, you know uh, teleology and the purpose of earth, what we can know, what we can't know, the boundaries of what we can know. Um, how to, you know, how to establish discernment and that sort of thing. So, um, that's what we're going to do next Sunday. And I also want to make a quick mention here. I got some mail from some people and we'll, we'll open all of that on Tuesday. We're doing Tuesdays with Marty every Tuesday. And I think we're going to do that, uh, I think seven o'clock at night, something like that, uh, central standard time. So if you guys want to join, it's just open forum. We talk, play a little guitar and, um, literally no agenda. You can ask whatever you want. You can yell at me, whatever you want to do. So that's what we're doing. All right. So today, Matthew chapter eight, that's right. We are, uh, let's see, there's 28 chapters in this thing. We're already on to eight. So we're good, good way through it. So, and this one is pretty good. This one is a pretty good one. So let's launch into it. Thank you all for being here. All right. Matthew uh, chapter eight, numero uno. When he was come, who is he? That's Jesus. Of course, that's what this whole thing is about. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes follow him, followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Clean me up, purify me, that sort of thing. Okay. We already know that Number one, we're, we're dealing with astrology. When we talk about astrology, what, what I really mean is we're dealing with our cosmology. God has written his story in everything around us. And that's what we're going to talk about in this first little section today. And the true enlightened mind is to be able to look at literally everything in this creation and see God within it. That's the point. That's what an enlightened mind... This is what all of these great religious traditions are trying to bring you. So you're not casting out the world or cursing the world or forgetting it or foregoing it. It's to be able to see into the world and actually see the manifested um, intelligence and beauty of God and recognize that what? Where does that come from? Somewhere beyond the material realm, of course. So this whole cosmology is, is, are, is based on this, you know, this pursuit. Finding the center, as we're going to see. Finding the center, which is God within you. This is the mountain. So when we talk about come down from the mountain, this is what we talk about. This is the metaphors or the symbolism used to understand the center of our creation. When we talk about the metaphysical nature above, that pole star that's right there. It was beautiful last night, by the way. 
and this morning when I went out to pee. Um, pole star right there. It's This is the mountain. And this is sometimes known as the world tree or the mountain in the center of the earth. So when Jesus says that he is coming down from the mountain, this is the eternal truth that is coming down from the very center of our creation that is coming down to what? Give it to all of humanity. This, this is straight from the source, if you will. That's what it means when he comes down the mountain, okay? Then he says, and he talks to a leper, this guy that has leprosy. And leprosy is really bad. It's like, you know, like all these things on your skin and like growths and it's, you know, nasty, right? And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Please clean me up, purify me. So what he, what this person is doing, the leprosy is, of course, whenever we see somebody that's sick, that needs healing, that's lost, that's asleep, that you know needs to wake up, that sort of thing, this is all a reference to his spiritual enlightenment, his spiritual going from the lost, lost little sheep into the arms of the shepherd. Going from, in the tarot deck, we understand this, this goes from the fool all the way to what? What's the last card in the major arcana? The world, the world, to recognize that you are an expression of the entirety. Okay, a microcosm, macrocosm. So there became this leper shows up and he's like, I'm going to clean you. In other words, what he's going to do is he's going to purify your spiritual vessel. This leprosy is a physical condition to represent what? A metaphysical issue, a metaphysical malady, if you will. And we all have them. This is the whole point. This is why everybody's here. Make no mistake about it. You, me, everybody. We're here to go for that, to go forward into that process. Everything in this creation tells us about it, okay? Including the stars above. So this guy with a leper comes and clean me. What does Jesus do? The first thing he does is he puts forth his hand. Important. Now we know the power of the hand. All the things that we've discussed that we are made in the image of God, which means we are a perfected vehicle. We are a perfected vehicle to help us understand this creation and help us understand what's beyond this creation, eternal life. And all of this ultimately comes down to your hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The mysteries, the chemical, the alchemical hand of the mysteries, it's all here. And this thing has the power. He touched him and he says, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So all this guy, what you can see is he came to Christ. He's like, I want this. Remember, ask and it shall be granted unto you. Knock and it shall be opened, right? That whole thing. This guy came forth and he's like, hey, clean me. Well, okay, cool. Then this is the first thing that Jesus says in this in this chapter. He says this, and Jesus put forth his hand. We know the power of the hand. We'll get back into this in just a second. And touched him, saying, I saying this, I will be thou clean. I will, semicolon, be thou clean. And immediately, boom, his leprosy was cleansed. Okay. So we're gonna do a little bit of math, and I think this will be the only math that we do all day. But it, it's, it's important because it's going to lead exactly into what we talked about not two live streams ago. I will, semicolon, be thou clean. This is the words right from Jesus' mouth. Now, we know that Jesus, because, it, because what he told us, right? He lives off every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God is what? Pure truth. 100% distilled down to this just the, you know, you, need, you just need one hit of this truth and you are just... Boom, blasted. You know what I'm saying? This is what Jesus lives by. Everything in his, the core of his being is, I am truth. Woo, coming down from high. So that means when he speaks, truth is just, just all in this thing. So let's do some math. And this is going to lead right, guys, if you've been following along, which you should be, if you've been coming to church, which you should be, you will find out that what Jesus is saying is literally exactly 
to the T, to the numbers of what we talked about in the Hamsa lecture. So, I will be thou clean. When we use the septenary cipher to this, this equals 58, as we can see there. Now, why is this important? Well, 58, when we multiply 58 by pi, of course, we all know why pi is, is important. Hi, little bird. Come here. Come here. He wants to say hi. Look at this man, huh? What do you think? It's like, I'm cold is what I am, man. It's freaking freezing this morning. So, I will be thou clean, and septen septenary gematria equals... 58. Now, 58 times pi equals 182. So we're just taking what Jesus said and multiplying it by this transcendental constant. That's universal. This equals 182. As you can see, we've done the math below there. Why don't you go back to mama? 58 times pi is what? 182. Well, once again, if you, a little review here, we just covered this in the Hamsa lecture. You guys remember this? I'll show you this. We talked about the phalanges of the hamsa was 13, but the hand normally is 14. Little review. So we counted the bones on that, that weird hamsa symbol, and we're like, wow, it's 13. And then, there are, but our regular hand is 14. There's a discrepancy there. Well, as we found, 13 times 14 is 182. And this is literally the exact same math that we covered in the universal symbol of the hamsa. And then what did we, what did we, what was the main core message from the, the Hamsa that we extracted? That it's talking about universals, transcendentals in the, in the realm of the sacred and the divine because it's available to all peoples. It's God's. God owns this. God made the hand. God designed the whole thing. He gave us the numbers. It's all his. So all we're doing is looking at the 13 bones in our, this, there's 13 bones in your palm, 13 bones in the palm and 14 Outside. So in other words, inside, outside. Visible bones, 14. Non-visible bones, 13. 13 times 14 is 182. This is literally the words out of Jesus' mouth. 58 times pi. All we're doing is taking this number and multiplying it by a mathematical constant. Now, and that leads us right to what? Our hands. 13 bones inside. 14 on the phalanges, 13 times 14 is 182. It's ex literally exactly what we covered in the Hamsa lecture. So, but remember, what did Jesus say? Here's, here's the clue. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can. And Jesus put forth his hand, literally giving you the clues to make the very mathematical connections that are literally encoded in his name. I mean, in, in the words that he's speaking. Now, one, one other thing, once again, a little mathy this morning, but I'll, I'll explain why we're doing all of this math. For those people that think that the, there's a lot of people that out there that's like, oh, that's just all number mumbo jumbo or, you know, force fitting things or the math isn't important, that sort of stuff. No, it is. It absolutely is. Just so you guys know. The reason that the, the, there's seven classic liberal arts, right? The quadrivium and the trivium. And the reason that the quadrivium, the base of it is cosmology, number, and geometry is because it's impossible to understand the greater messages that Jesus is saying without a due diligence in those studies. This is why numbers and geometry and cosmology are the foundation of the quadrivium because God wants you to know about those things because he gave us those things. God gave us our cosmology. God gave us the numbers and God gave us the geometry. Okay. I will be thou clean. I will. I will do what you ask because you asked me. You will be clean because you are letting Christ into your life. You're letting Christ into your vessel to purify this thing. 
I will be thou clean equals 58. Why is this important? This whole cipher is based on seven, first and foremost. We know the power of the number seven here. I don't think I need to reiterate that. The first seven primes, when you add them up, equal 58. I will be thou clean. The first seven primes, 2, 3, 5, 7, 11, 13, and 17. You add those up, it equals 58. 2, 3, 5, 7, 11, 13, and 17. A prime is a number divisible by one in itself. Well, what happens if you just square those numbers? 2 squared, 3 squared, 5 squared, 7 squared, 11 squared, 13 squared, 17 squared. Do you know what it equals now? 666. Add it up. Do it yourself. So, Jesus, 58, you add the first seven primes and you get 58. Then we see... We square those first seven primes and you get 666. Well, we know that 666 is, <laughs> it's uh, it's encoded in Jesus. So Jesus, this is self-referential. Jesus, who's encoding 666, is speaking to this guy, cleansing his vessel. And in that message is what? Literally the numbers within his name. A key number. Of course, we find this all over. I'm not going to go, we've covered enough 666, but... Um, you know, why that's important. So, all on your hands, all mathematics on your hands. Now, so there's, so everybody get that. So, 58 leads you literally directly to 666, which is literally encoded in his name. And I don't have the graphic here, but it's also encoded in the Greek name. That's a review for some people, but 666 is encoded in the Greek name of Jesus Christ. So, We've discussed why. I will be thou clean. Let's look at the vowels and let's look at the consonants. The vowels equal 29 and the consonants equal 29. So Jesus, as he's saying, I will be thou clean, everything that's coming out of his mouth is mathematically encoded. It leads right to his hand. Literally, the mathematics leads right to his hand. He's using his hand to cleanse the guy. Then the, when we look at it, it's a perfect split. We look at the vowels, we look at the consonants, it's a perfect split. 29 and 29. Why is this important? Because once again, just listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling you where 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 all where all of this all of these numbers and and is found. Jesus put forth his hand. Well, what does 29 have to do with the hand? Vowels, consonants. Well, the bones of the hand, if we have 13 here, we have 14 here. That's 27 bones. Do you know what connects those 27 bones? Two bones here in your arm. And what are those two bone bones? Well, one's called the radius. That's a mathematical term. <laughs> one's called the radius. There's a bone in here called the pisiform too. Where is it? Pisiform right there. It's this bone here, essentially. Or this one here, I think is what it is. Pisiform. There's also a lunate bone. What's a lunate? It's a moon. So you have a radius, and you know what the other one's called? It's called an ulna. Do you know what ulna is? It's an anagram for moon. So the ulna, which is an anagram for moon, leads you to the lunate, which is a reference to the moon. <laughs> and then that is the 29 bones that encode your arm. Do you know what 29 is? 29.53 is a synodic lunar month. So, and then we're like, well, ulna, and do you know what this is? When we look at these two bones, your radius and your ulna going to the 13 and the 14, totaling 29. Do you know what this is? Well, we've covered it. This is the cubit. From the elbow to the end of this is a cubit. 
So Jesus, in the vowels and the consonants, is giving you the mathematics of the bone structure of what? The cubit. And what do we know about the cubit? The cubit is, is literally what you use to measure the city of God. Facts. Look it up. It's Genesis, or I mean, uh, Revelation. Okay, so great. So all this math, Marty, what is, so what? So 29, 27, whatever. What, what does it matter? What does this actually doing? It's an expansion of consciousness. This is really what Christ and any true spiritual path, any enlightened path, any, you know, ascended path, this is where it's supposed to lead you. It's to, and not just be like, oh, I've got a head full of numbers. No, 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 no. That's not what we're doing. These numbers allow us to see pure design in the world. Literally to say, damn, this whole thing is a masterwork of engineering by the greatest mind that ever could exist. Now, it's one thing to just say that. It's another thing to expand your mind, to see it, to see it. And this is what I try to teach. Okay, so so the, the the numbers, you know, numbers, geometry, cosmology, all of these things are desperately important to your spiritual pursuit. God did not make this whole world for you not to understand it. This is why we're Gnostics, because we want to have knowledge of our world and what's beyond that world. So we need so it so this is why those numbers are important, because what does it do? Number one, it allows us to understand order, it allows us to understand design. When we get to the numbers of our cosmology, ultimately, as we teach here, it allows us to understand purpose. We're also speaking in what? God's language. God, as we as we say, is a numbers are a metaphysical language. That's what it is. So when you learn that, what are you doing? You're speaking of the transcendent. That's why numbers are universal to everybody. So this is why it's so important. So if you, you know, when you hear people that are on their spiritual pursuit or whatever, and they say, well, that this, none of this is important. None of that's important. You don't need this. You don't need that. What they're basically saying is, I don't actually want to know about the fullness of God. I don't really need to know that he's over here in these flowers here. And I don't need to know he's over here. And I don't need to recognize he's right here. I don't need that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Otherwise, God wouldn't have made it. It's like saying, oh, I don't really need to know what the, what the shape of the earth is. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Otherwise, why would they lie about it? So, this is all for us to elevate our minds, to allow us to see beauty, design, order, and God's love literally everywhere. Eight, four. And Jesus saith unto him, after he cleansed him, Jesus just purified this dude because he asked for it. He wanted it. He wanted it. And then he says this to this dude. <laughs> See thou, tell no man. You are just purified. You're cleansed. As far as we can tell, he's re this, this leper, this guy that had leprosy, reached some stage of enlightenment or, or, or you know, revelation, that sort of thing. Because he's been clean. He's been purified. And then Jesus says, don't tell anybody. So he says. See thou, tell no man. But go thy way. Show thyself to the priest. And we'll talk about why the priest. Why is he show? Don't tell anybody, but go tell the priest. What? And then offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Okay. So let's get into this a second. So first off, he says, tell no man. Tell no man. Right? Well, Jesus is, this is Jesus's message all the time. This is exactly the message that you'll get. Actually, Jesus just said this last chapter. Do not cast your pearls to swine. Do not give that which is holy unto the dogs. 
Jesus is reiterating this, saying, you're purified. you got a purified mind. You're enlightened now, right? You've gone through the process because you desperately wanted this enlightenment. Now, don't bother going to try to tell everybody and or try to, that sort of thing. Because guess what? As we know, they are not going to understand. They are not going to appreciate the pearls that you cast. They're not going to appreciate those this, this big chunk of gold that you put in their lap. It's like, look, this is the, you know, they're not going to understand it. And that's exactly what Jesus said, not a chapter before this. So this is why he's saying, don't tell anybody. Keep it a secret. The other reason that this is done is why? As we know, if you're part, if you understand the mystery school tradition at all, you know what those secrets do? It worked for me, entices the shit out of you. It's like, wait, what are they doing? I want to know. If you're in the mysteries and you actually want to pursue knowledge, pursue knowledge of this world, and that's what this is, knowledge of this world, where we come from, where we're going, that sort of thing, right? When you see a mystery, you're like, ooh, I got to get to the bottom of that. That's the whole point. So this is Jesus. And he charged them that they should tell no man. Don't tell anybody, Jesus says. Nor tell it to anyone in the town, Jesus said. Don't tell anybody. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. Don't tell anybody, he says. This is right from the mouth of Jesus numerous, numerous, numerous times. And as they came down from the mountain, just as he did, he charged them that they should tell no man what they had seen. But everybody gives Freemasons a bunch of shit for keeping secrets. Why? Why? Apparently, you know, Christians hate Masons to, to the core, right? Most of them. And yet Masons are actually doing exactly what Jesus said. Why? Why do Masons keep secrets? Because they're doing Luciferian stuff down the lodge? No, because it's trying to entice people who are actually, genuinely on the spiritual path. Who are engaging in the mysteries. The world's a mystery. I want knowledge of those spiritual mysteries. Which means what? I'm going to have to become a Gnostic. And as we'll see, that's exactly what Jesus is teaching. So, so let's go here. Um, all right. Now, so go thy way. You're purified. You cleansed your vessel. Don't, you know, don't, don't go telling anybody and stuff like that. Now show thyself to the priest. Why is he saying show thyself to the priest? Because he's saying exactly what we're saying. Go down to the lodge. Go down to the lodge. Go talk to those people. They'll understand you. That priest has been through the process. This isn't the priest like the priests of today, right? This is like the, pre like the Pope and all that other stuff. That's not what we're talking about here. He's saying, go tell the person now that's already been purified. He'll understand. This, this is literally what Jesus is saying. Then he says this, okay. And Jesus saith unto him, so tell no man, go thy way, show thyself to the priest. And then he says this, offer the gift that Moses commanded. This is Jesus saying this to this leprosy guy. Then offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Okay, so now you have to offer the gift that Moses commanded. Well, we'd have to go to the Old Testament to find out what the, the gift that Moses commanded. And then we'd find this in Leviticus and we'll read this. Okay. It says, uh, shall the priest shall go forth out of the camp and, and look at the leprosy and the plague and this stuff. And then the priest shall command this guy. Um, this, is the, this is the gift. And the priest shall command him to, um, for him that is to be cleansed two birds. We're going to take uh, two birds alive and clean and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. I think I'm saying that correctly. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and then shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running. What the fuck? What? What's going on here? 
Is this some sort of like dark magic ritual thing? And then he shall sprinkle them on that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and he shall pronounce them clean and he shall let the living bird loose into an open field. What? What's going on here? So Moses is like, hey, if once you're enlightened, take two birds, kill one of them, wash all this stuff in its blood, and then, you know, do this thing. What is going on here? It reminded me of, um, you guys see that movie, uh, Major League? It reminded me of, remember when Serrano, which is number, I think it was number 13, by the way, but Serrano's like the big black dude, and he couldn't hit curveballs, and he was like, so he's like, um, <laughs> so he wanted Joe Boo, so he does these like rituals to this Joe Boo character, right? And so one of the, right before like World Series, one of the big playoff games, he wanted to sacrifice a whole chicken. And then Jake comes in and he's just like, well, instead of, you know, giving you a chicken, he gives him a bucket of KFC. <laughs> so, and it's like, is this really what Jesus or like Moses and all this and Jesus wants of us to actually go and physically take two birds and kill one and then wash it in the blood? No, I mean, obviously incredibly potent symbolic language. And the idea that anybody would take this literally, I mean, do you know anybody that's actually taken birds and, well, maybe some Jews, I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like, how could you possibly take this literally? Like, we're gonna take two, no, no. This is obviously metaphorical language. I'm not gonna go into what all of this means because it's a, it's a you know, I'm just gonna highlight some things. The symbolism behind this. First and foremost, the birds that are being referenced here are the same birds that are referenced in, these are celestial, constellational, right? Remember, Jesus comes down from the mountain the celestial mountain, to give his, his you know, uh, his teachings. These are the two birds that you find in Noah's Ark. And this is the raven or the crow, which is Corvus, the constellation Corvus, and then the dove, which is Columba. So one bird's going to be bad and one bird's going to be good. And then we're going to take the bad bird and then take all of that darkness and all of the, you know, the, you know, the, the, the rough ashlar stone, and you're going to wash all of that. And then you're going to become clean. Highly potent symbolic language that is directly dealing with constellations. I mean, what in the, you know, you get into Leviticus, next thing you know, you know, you're going to be killing birds and, you know, blood and all this other stuff. It's, that's insane. No, no, no. That's not what it means at all. All of these things are highly symbolic. What's hysop? So it says cedar wood, a couple birds, some hysop, and what was the other thing? Scarlet. Well, hysop is, is a shrub. Um, it has been used in traditional herbal medicine. So this is a healing agent, reliever, cough expectorant, antiseptic, right? This is a guy that has that had leprosy, like this whole process of cleaning. If you look at this plant, what is what is the plant? Natural symbolism behind the plant. Once again, this is when, when we did Symbolism 101, that live stream, how it's absolutely important to, you know, go through these processes of understanding or extracting the wisdom from the symbol itself. Um, first off, let's use some colors. What is it? It's purple. Well, what's purple? It's a combination of red and blue. That's how you make purple. And what is this thing doing? <laughs> Shooting straight up? It's not one of these things that are like flapping over and doing all this. No, no, no. It's like a boom, straight up. What is that referencing? Ascension. So now you have red and blue making purple. Purple, by the way, is a color of royalty, nobility. What is the red and blue that makes purple? Well, you find it all over Christ. The heart is most often illustrated with the colors red and blue to signify the outgoing and incoming blood or distinguishing the blood's oxygenation and deoxygenation. So you'll see a lot of times a heart will be shown in red and blue and that represents what? You know, blood going in, going out, that sort of thing. And that's why you see Jesus all over wearing red and blue. What's red and blue? Purple. What is this? What is the hysop that he's using? Purple. 
Then he says use Scarlet. Scarlet is yet, yet again used as an anti-inflammatory. This guy is going to be healed. So he's using all this other stuff. Then he says mix it with some cedar wood, right? Well, what is cedar? It's durable. It's basically rot-proof, essentially. It's an, it's enabled to withstand many conditions. You can put cedar outside. A lot of times you'll put cedar in um like in a garden bed and stuff like that because it won't, you know, taint the, the soil and stuff like that and it'll stay good. Cedar is sound resistant. It's naturally beautiful. All of these things, potent symbolism. And that's that's the point. So, um, so no, you don't have to go and actually grab a couple birds and then wash them in blood and stuff like that. That's insane. Okay. Obviously, this is a symbolic book. Then, okay, so we're going to keep going. 8.5, and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said, hey, I'll come and heal him. Why? Once again, he came to Jesus. He's like, I want to knock. I want to ask. And you will give, right? Goes, Jesus entered into Capernaum. Once again, entered into what? The human vessel. Where did he enter into the human vessel? The word Capernaum tells you. Capper describes any form of protective perimeter around any sort of vulnerable interior, like your brain. And what do you do? You put a cap on your head, as in Capernaum. And what is your skull? It's a protective area area for your brain, for your, um, you know, the gray matter, if you will, your brain tissue. Um, capper, protective area perimeter, and of course a hat is a cap. And then noum is what? It's a place to basically be sorry, to have regret, um, to console. It's a village of consolation, to be sorry or to comfort. That's what it is. So it's a place where you go, a protective area you're covering, where you put on a cap, where you're sorry, where you go to deal with your repentance. And that's why Jesus entered into Capernaum, the head. Jesus himself is what? The lamb and the ram, which on the zodiac is what? Aries, the head. Jesus is entering into Cap, or Nam, the place where you go to repent, to feel sorry, to actually go and cleanse your sins. We also know that one of Jesus's like these miracles was this guy that entered into. We read this in uh, Mark. This guy that enters in through the roof, and he enters in through the roof in Capernaum. That's where it happened. So this is, and he's going to the cent, centurion came and asked for healing. One, one other quick thing, just some you know quick math for you here. That's Aries. That's the head on the right there. That's your head. That's your Capernaum. That's your Aries. That's your lamb. And that's Aries. And that's one, five, 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 six. And you know what seven equals? Because remember, remember, Moses commanded him to wash the thing seven times, right? Uh, six, five, 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 one. And then let's mirror that and go one, five, 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 six. And then six, five, five, one. And one, five, five, six. And six, five, five, one. And one. Wow. Interesting, huh? Our language is encoded. <laughs> so the centurion came, right, and asking of Jesus. So this is what it says. Uh, when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion be beseeching him. Who's the centurion? The centurion is Centaurus. Okay? Centaurus is a bright constellation in the southern sky. Centa Centaurus represents a centaur, a creature that's half human, half horse. Right underneath Centaurus right there is what's known as the Southern Crux. It's a cross. Um, here, the, centaur, the Centurion was also, the Centurion was also there 
at Jesus' crucifixion. And you can see in this illustration, uh, what do we have there? It looks like a guy on a horse, right? So this is, uh, we'll go back to this, sorry. Then it says this, So Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Number one, where is, he, where is Jesus entering? In, in his head, in his roof. Where did they let the guy with palsy down? In, in Mark, through the roof. Literally through the head, the top, the roof. So Jesus is saying, this, he's like, hey, Lord, I'm not worthy. Thou should come under my roof now, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Now look at, uh, look at Centaurus. Let's go this one. Centaurus is literally the root of the word centurion, right? There's the Southern Cross and it's literally underneath what? Centaurus, the centurion. The Southern Crocs, the Southern Crux, the Southern Cross, which is actually the, the place, one of the, this is a sort of the region in the sky where you actually point to when the sun rises in December, uh, December 25th, the, the Christmas, excuse me. So this, these are the constellations you see in the sky. Underneath the house of the Centurion or Centaurus is literally the Southern Crux. It literally enshrouds it. So, come under my roof in in the human body as well as in the sky and but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed of course you know the word is we will get into that in just a second of course then he says this for i am a man under authority the centurion guy says having soldiers under me and i say to this man go and he goeth and then to another come and he cometh and to my servant do this and he doeth so what is, he, what is he saying to Jesus right now? The centurion who's working for the Roman army is coming to Jesus to have one of his servants healed. Do you know what would happen <laughs> if the Roman generals found out or the you know, Roman top, top dogs found out that a centurion was going to this guy to be healed? Well, he would be considered, you know, you guys know the story of Barabbas, right? We talked about Barabbas before, right? Where he was, a, he was literally um, what would be considered a terrorist today, a terrorist right? Just like, just like a lot of us conspiracy theorists to the CIA and the FBI and stuff like that are considered terrorists, domestic terrorists. Well, the Roman empire was doing the same shit to these guys, right? So in other words, Jesus, just like Barabbas ultimately would be what? A terrorist, this sort of thing. So if the Roman generals found out that this centurion was going to Jesus and be like, help him sick, you know, help me and this sort of thing, he would probably be killed, jailed or whatever. But this guy went anyway because he actually had faith. Once again, underneath. Come under my roof. This is the imperium is the authority held by magistrates and magistrates and pro-magistrates to command the Roman ar army. It can be viewed as the supreme form of legal power, which was given to, not lawful. Those are two different things. You guys know that, right? Legal and lawful. That's another live stream, which was given to magistrates such, such as councils, praetors, etc. right? So basically, this is the top dogs legally. Jesus knows that the top dog is actually God lawfully. Legal means fiction. 
Well, you legally have to do this. No, I don't. That's fiction. So the Ro this guy is under the authority of the Romans, and he goes to Jesus for, for healing. And that would have pissed him off. We know that the true authority is what? We've talked about this. It's who authored you. That's what it means. That's where the root of the word authority. The root of the word authority. So, uh, and then, so this, this centurion is being like, oh man, I did this, uh, I've got some, I, I am a man under authority. I've, I've got these soldiers here and do this and do this. So this guy is going against the Roman army to go to Jesus, in other words. Because he ultimately understands who his real author is. And then when Jesus heard this, he's like, he marveled. He's like, dude, you're going to be hounded. You're going to be considered a domestic terrorist now. And you're still willing to come here to help another person. Think about it. My servant. My servant. This guy serves me and I'm going to you against the orders of the general, the army, to help him. And Jesus sees this as like, boom. Just like when we talked about um, Arthur, King Arthur. Why did King Arthur pull the sword from the stone? Remember? If you guys watched it, you should. Remember? But Kay's got to have a sword. Not, I need the sword because I'm going to be king. No, this guy came for somebody else. And Jesus is like, he marvels at him. And he's like, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. <laughs> that shit's true today. <laughs> it's like this century of the Roman armor armies come in and he's like, you have greater faith than everybody in Israel. All those Jews and the scribes and the Pharisees, you top dog compared to them. Why? And what did he do? Literally went against the corrupt ass government. No, not in Israel. You're not going to find any Christ-like people in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So now what do we have here? Um, actually, let me, let me say this first. And then we'll go, and we'll go back. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into darkness, outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's basically like, hey, there's, what he's saying is there's going to be some people that are going to be sitting with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they're going to come from the east and west. That's important. And then he says, and then there's going to be some people that are cast out. And these people, they're going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what he says specifically. Now, right before this, he says, you're not going to find these, you're not going to find the people going to the kingdom of heaven in Israel. You're not going to find them there. So who are these people that are gnashing of teeth? Well, just let's go to Jesus again. And he shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And the outer darkness and wailing and gnashing of teeth, weeping and gnashing of teeth. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. With the hypocrites. Wait a second. <laughs> we just talked about the hypocrites. Last live stream, remember? But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues. In the synagogues, that's where the hypocrites are. Who are the people that are weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? According to Jesus. Jews. As the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> Let's go back here. So when he's like, ah, oh, the gnashing of teeth, who are these people that he's specifically referring to? Mentions twice in three verses exactly who he's talking about. They're alive and well today. You know that, right? People that are doing this thing, they're saying, you need to do this. Remember? Remember that whole thing? Ah, anyway. That was years ago. Let's just let's let's just let bygones be bygones. So so um, and I say unto you, there sh that many shall come from the east and west. What does this mean? It means occidental and oriental. It means people will come to the truth, and it will not be dependent upon your religion, your spirituality, what your your status in the world. Occidental, Occidental means relating to the countries of the West. Oriental means those of the East. All these people will, will come and recognize that there's something transcendent beyond religions, beyond these differentiations of spirituality, something that's something that's um, divine and sacred that's available to all people, that, that's, that uh, transcends languages and cultures and geographic re regions. Everybody, there's going to be, not everybody, there's going to be people from the East and West. What is this saying? It's why we're Gnostics. Because we embrace all the great traditions. Because we recognize that behind all, you know, I'm going to say all, but many, many, many of the great traditions, esoterically what you have is that one singular path. The one, the, the one God, one religion, one way. When you get behind the veil, when you get behind the exoteric veil and see the esoteric, then you'll see it in, oh, there, and there, and there, and there. I'll see it. This is what a purified mind is. If, if, if somebody is claiming that they have a purified mind and they say, oh, I don't need this. Ah, oh, this is just, they're not purified. They don't have a purified mind. They don't have a purified heart. Because as somebody that actually can see the transcendent can transcend any of these divisions. Can see beyond it. This is what he's saying. People of the Occidental and the Oriental will come to the truth. Because it actually transcends all of these categorizations that we make down here. It's metaphysical. It's transcendental. And this is why we're Gnostics. Because we follow what? This is what Jesus is teaching. This is the last thing in the last chapter. For he taught them as having one authority. Who is that authority? God. Not as the scribes. This is how he ended the last chapter. There's a bunch of people in Israel and around the world too, right? That are scribbling and they're looking at their Bible and they're, you know, almost like possessed with the thing. And they're looking for the truth, right? And really the truth is literally all around them. As we teach in front of you, your whole body, your experience, heaven, earth, my Lord, the entire canopy of the stars itself is telling you about this path up and out of here into what would be considered total unity of God. And this is what we'll talk about next live stream. This is what Jesus is teaching them. Gnostics put their trust in God, not man. It's better to put the, tr put the trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. There's going to be all sorts of people coming from all sorts of different walks of life. And if they've purified their vessel, their mind, their heart, they're going to be able to shed all of that stuff and be like, oh, I see it. And Jesus, uh, 8.13, And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. This is no different than basically, you know, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
when God speaks, it's affirmed. It's, it's, there's no, it's like, well, maybe he meant, God said, let there be light sometimes. Nope, nope. When God speaks, this is what happens. This is what Jesus is saying. Go thy way and thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed. He said, and this is what happened. In the self same hour, this guy was healed. The language is very, very important. The self same hour. Let's look at this. Number one, hour comes from the word Horus. Hours. What, what do, what the Horus, the sun God, the sun, the sun, right? So that that light is giving us basically the order of creation is one of the things it's doing. But as we know, so when we say the self-same hour this happened, this is a subtle reference to what? Once again, the sun god. And when we say self-same, what do we mean? It means Christ is within you. This is the this is the the, the symbolic potency and poetry behind this. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. No ye no. No, gnosis, gnosis, know ye not your own selves? Do you not know yourself how that Jesus Christ is in you? Except ye be reprobates. Why are they reprobates? Because they don't recognize that Christ is within them. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory and the mystery of the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The self-same. What did we talk about last live stream? What did we, t- we literally discussed this exact same thing in the monad. On the level, I've got this divine spark, and this divine spark within me is equal to that divine spark. Oh, we're the self-same. And when Jesus, Matthew eight fourteen, And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand again. He, his hand, touched her hand. And the fever left her. The power of Jesus' hands. Isn't that amazing? And she arose and, and ministered unto them. Okay. First off, let's talk about when Jesus has come into Peter's house. Once again, this will be a review for some people. This is once again referencing what? The zodiac above, the star, the whole the heavens, and how those heavens are reflected within you. So when we say, where's Peter's house? Well, we're going to have to look upstairs and we're going to have to look within and then we're going to have to recognize at some point that those two things are ultimately reflections of one another and ultimately come from the same source. So Simon was surnamed Peter. Psi is the Greek letter that resembles a trident. It's three. And it's a symbol for psyche or the mind. The psyche or the mind, right? In fact, they talk about the, the pineal gland being the seed of the soul. So the psyche, the mind, the soul, that sort of thing. So Simon, the Greek letter Psi, means a trident, and it means psyche and mind. Mon, Simon, means one. So in other words, it's three becomes one. Three into one. Simon was just a trident and three, and then it's one. A single one, alone, uh, one. Derived from, and then Peter is derived from the stone. So we have Simon, psyche, mind, three, mon, into one, and there's a stone. So it's a trinity and a cor- and a stone. <laughs> this is uh, Simon Peter. He's representing what? In the zodiac, the house of the house of air in in, in your you know your uh, constellations, your Aries. And Jesus is the core because once again the whole church was built on the ho- on Peter, right? As you guys know, Matthew sixteen eighteen. I'm sure if you guys know, the whole church was built on the house of Peter. Um, Christ is the cornerstone. He's the chief cornerstone. Uh, wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone. 
um, you know, etc., etc. The cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. So when he says Peter, Petra, Petra means stone, right? This is a reference to that. So he's saying when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, yet again, literally in an entirely different way of saying the exact same thing. The first thing that we got in this is what? Let's go back. The first thing that we were told is that Jesus is entered into, oh, no, this was uh, Matthew 8, 5, and, we, and Jesus was entered into Capernaum. Where did he enter? Here. And then the, the servant, this, the, uh, the centurion's like, oh, it's amazing that you came under my roof. Then we go here and it says, ah, Jesus is coming to Peter's house. So when we talk about the human being, Jesus plopped right into his head. Now, more confirmation of this. And he touched her hand. Uh, oh, and, and when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand and, he, and the fever left her and she arose and ministered unto him. Okay, so let's go here. This is a reference to, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. She was sick. She was had a devil in her. This is the, this is the you know, once again, if you're sick, you're, you've got a spiritual malady in this sort of sense. She's got it. So this mo wife's mother is laid and she's sick with a fever. This is a recapitulation of the Andromeda story. Andromeda in the constellation is part of Pegasus's like foot. Well, I think I'll show that in just a second. And a lot of illustrations, she's literally laid. She's like laying down. You can see on the right there, she's laying down. Tied to a mountain, laying down, that sort of thing. She's also in peril because she's chained to this mountain where there's Draco the dragon, which is constantly basically capturing her and possessing her. And if she doesn't get a hero to come save her, she will die. Of course, we see this, the hero in this story is Jesus Christ. So Andromeda is the... Um, <clears throat> I hope I have this in here. Andromeda is the daughter of Cepheus and Cassiopeia. That's the pole star. That's the mountain. This is exactly where we are in the story. Jesus is coming down from this place. Then he says his wife's mother is sick and she's laid down. Why is she sick? Because it's Andromeda and she's sick with what? The serpent Draco. She's sick with the devil in her. There's Andromeda. She's the daughter of... Cepheus and Cassiopeia. Okay, so I'm gonna just be, be with this real quick. And once again, why, why is why is this important? Where is this? You know, it, this story is happening all the time right above you. Okay, Peter was there. So in the, Peter's house is Aries, as we said. So let's look at our let's look at our star map again. So there's Simon Peter's house, the stone, the cornerstone, which is Christ, the psi, which is three and psi, mind, right? Three becoming one, psi mono, is in the house. That's Peter's house. That's Aries right in the top corner. Then Peter is like, hey, my, my wife's mother is laid sick. That's Andromeda, which is literally right next to Aries. Why is Andromeda sick? Why is she laying? Because she's literally laying in the stars. That's the wife's mother. She's sick with a fever, which is what? Draco. Then it says, uh, Arise. When even, and when the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. 
What is the devil? It's a serpent. It's the snake, which is literally right there. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Okay? For that it says, and then she arose. It says, and Jesus was coming to Peter's house, which is Aries. Saw his wife's mother laid sick of a fever, which is sick because Andromeda is sick with Draco. And he touched her hand and the fever that left her. Uh, and she arose. Arose is the past tense of arise. And arise is what? An anagram for Aries. What did she do? After Jesus healed her from her impurities, she arose within the vessel. So in other words, this is, this is literally Kundalini. Jesus drops in. <laughs> on the head, goes all the way down. He cleanses, just as he cleansed the seven devils that were in Mary, cleansed the whole body, and then what's happening? Then she arose. Then she rose back up. And how did he do this? Once again, we'll go right back to the stars to verify what's happening here. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. What's his word? Well, I think many people know the sword of the spirit, the word of God. You need the ear to hear the word. I think most of us can see sword and word. The reference there, right? Word, sword of the spirit, just the word of God. That's what it says. So a sword that is a word that you hear. What's going on? This is a reference to, once again, the flaming sword. We've talked about this numerous, numerous times. There's a flaming sword up in the heavens. And what is that flaming sword? It's the Northern Cross. We'll get to that in just a second. It's Cygnus. Cygnus is the young swan. It's the Northern Cross. Literally looks like a sword. A cross is the same shape as a sword. And it means, just like a cigarette. Sig, sig, signet. It literally means to lighten, to glow, to be white, to light, clear. It's your flaming sword, which is the spirit, which is the word of God. This is Cygnus. And here's Cygnus full scale. So Jesus used the sword, his word, to cast out Draco. You see where Draco is right there? You see where Andromeda is on the top and the right there? You see where Aries, you can barely see it, but Aries is right by on the very top there. You see Andromeda. You see Aries is right there. You see Andromeda's, uh, uh, the, the mother and father, Cepheus and Cassiopeia. You see Draco that's right there, the devil. What's right next to that? Cygnus. It's a flaming sword. It's the word. He used that word to kill Draco to heal Andromeda. The story's in the heavens. So, and when... When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Um, then, you know what? Let's do this. Let's pass the basket around. For all of you that do enjoy this service, this takes um, a lot of time. It's actually a ton of work to put this stuff together, and so we really appreciate everybody that does come by and it's here every Sunday or that watches these in their entirety and actually does, you know, uh, spend the time to learn this stuff. Um, so we really appreciate all the people that show up, all the people that are subscribed to Subscribestar. If you would like to support the fine work that we do here, we keep going with you guys. So uh, Zenmo, buy me a coffee, Cash App, you can become a Subscribestar. Or if you would like, you can do um, snail mail. We do donations 
make checks payable to Kevin McNally, N17178 Country Pride Drive, Pembine, Wisconsin, uh, 54156. Or if you'd just like to send a letter, like I said, we do have letters, um, and I'll open those Tuesday when we do Tuesdays with Marty, and I'll talk about that. So I got a few letters to open, and that sort of thing, and I'll do all of that uh, Tuesday when we do Tuesdays with Marty. So. That's one of those things when you try to learn Led Zeppelin's Braun YR in the morning and, you, you know, you don't really get through it, but you try it anyway. So that's, thank you. Thank you all to uh, thank you, everyone that does uh, stop by and appreciates what we do here and supports it. We really it really means the world to us. So uh, thank you very much. OK, let's continue on. All right, this one thing it says here, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. There's, there's a lot to go into here, but it, that's it's basically like a live stream in and of itself. So I'm just going to say, once again, what's happening. Uh, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament. It's being fulfilled here. What you have a lot of times is, um, and th there's a great lesson in the story of Jesus. And it really it says a lot for people's uh, spiritual undertakings and their spiritual quest. Because, you know, the, G the Jews, you know, it's like you can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. Ah, uh, yeah. In your spiritual quest, a lot of times you you don't get what you want. You get what you need. Okay. So when the when the Jews came on, we're like, we are waiting for our Messiah. We want our Messiah. Everybody, I can't wait for the Messiah to show up. It's everything's going to be great for me and all of the line of Abraham when the Messiah shows up. Right. Then the Messiah shows up, and he didn't look anything like they thought. They had in their mind, oh, this is what he's going to be very Jewy. His name's Cohen. He's going to have this, you know, like he's going to wear the hat and stuff like that. Then he shows up and he's nothing like they thought. And so what did they do? Instead of being like, oh, maybe I've got further to go on my spiritual journey. No, they rejected him. That's what happened. And this is what happens all the time in people's spiritual pursuits. Something will come along and it will, it will challenge what they think or what they believe. Or like, oh my God, I might have to do a lot of study now. Or I might have to actually absorb this information. And what will they say? 
Ah, we don't need that. It didn't come as I thought it was going to be. And then when it didn't show up, what I had in my mind is the Messiah. Then the Messiah actually shows up. Truth incarnate shows up. And what happens? They reject him. This happens all the time in spiritual pursuits. It's happening currently right now between me and somebody else, by the way. But what's happening? Jesus shows up and you're like, damn, well, I, th I thought he was going to be Irish Lomo. No. Nope. But it's what you needed. And it's fulfilling the prophecy of, of your people. 818, now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart to the other side. I'm just going to mention the other side as a reference to the celestial canopy. I'm not going to go too much into that. But this is, once again, language to let you know that he's going from here to the other side. And I'll show, I'll show you that, actually, just a second here. Um, okay, so let's go here. And a certain scribe came, again... Who's, who are they referencing? They want to make sure that when you read this, if you actually study it, that you're going to know damn well uh, who are some of the major the problems of the world and where they arise. <laughs> so and a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee with ever so ever thou goest. Wherever you're going to go, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to follow you, that sort of thing. And Jesus said unto him, well, the foxes, they have their holes, and the birds of the air, they have their nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. What does this mean? What does it mean? A certain scribe came and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Then he's like, hey, I'm going to speak in parable and riddle here, right? Foxes, they have their holes, and birds have their nests. But me, the Son of Man which is actually in you, hath not where to lay his head. What is it saying? Number one, uh, it's saying Christ is everywhere. <laughs> Wherever you go, Christ is there. Why? And it's like, it's just like we, um, Jennifer and I have been listening to, um, we, we watched William Shakespeare last night, and it's when the sprite says, so where is Christ? Oh, uh, over hill, over dale, through a bush, through a bar, over park, over pale, through flood, through fire, I do wander everywhere, swifter than the moon's sphere. And I serve the qu fairy queen, do her orbs upon the green. Over hill, over dale, through bush, through briar, over park, over pale, through flood, through fire, I do wander everywhere. That's where Christ is. Christ is everywhere. It's basically, the, basically Jesus is saying, neither shall they say low here or low, here, low there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. What is this scribe doing? Looking externally. It's like, I'll go this way and this way. And Jesus is like, you're, you don't, <laughs> you can go wherever you want, bro. You can go uh, over hill, over dale, through bush, through briar, over park, over pale, through flood, through fire. You can go wherever you want because Christ does wander everywhere, swifter than the moon's sphere. What do we learn from the Trinity? Christ is ever-present. There's the past. Uh, he's that too. And the future, he's that too because he's part of the Trinity. But where is Christ? He's the second person of the Trinity. Which means what? He's not the future. Well, he is. He's not the past. Well, he is. But where is he really? Right here now, in the present. And this is the this is this is the great this is the great revelation behind enlightenment in, in general. And in, in my take, you know, 
recognizing that the Spirit of God is with you all the time. Just so you know, that is a reference to pi right there. You see that? You see that dove and it's got its arms across that circle? That's a reference to the geometry of pi. And look what God's doing, like, here. <laughs> That's why math's important. He, this is a trinity, which is a triangle, three points becoming one. Then part of the triangle's like, here, pi, look. How many, you know how many flames or yods are around that there? Little little flames, you want to say? Seven. So, Christ is like, uh, what, what are you doing, right? Like, you, oh, the, where's, where's Christ's home? Well, number one, Christ, Christ's home isn't of this world. He doesn't live down here in the sense what? Life is, as we know, it's up there. So, he's not hanging out down here. It doesn't mean he's casting it aside or like that sort of thing or cursing it. No. He's just like, no, we're just not. This isn't my home. Where is the church of Christ as we understand? When we say that Christ is everywhere, and this is exactly what we teach, and this is exactly reiterates this in the Bible. We say, 10 away. When we say Christ is everywhere, what do we, or when we say, yeah, Christ is everywhere, um, uh, what, where's, where's the church of Christ? Well, uh, what is the church? It's a, it's a building for public worship. And in this sense, the building is the entire cosmos. Public worship of a God or religious serv- service in such a building. Yeah, we, that, that building is what God built. The authority and the grand architect that built our cosmology put us in it. And everywhere we go within it is worthy of Christ being worshipped. So there's not like a physical, like over here, that's where, no, no, no. It's everywhere. Okay. It's uh, over hill, over dale, through bush, through byre, over park, over pale, through flood, through fire. I do wander everywhere. Swifter than the moon is sphere. The church is the whole body of Christian believers, the entirety of Christendom. The dome. That's the church of Christ. Right? And this is what he's saying. It's like, where do I go? I'll follow you wherever I go. Do we have to go east? Do we have to go west? Notice they said all everybody from the east and west is going to go what? come to the middle <clears throat> and another of his disciples said unto him lord suffer me first to go and bury my father suffer me suffer me what does this mean allow me to permit me to go that's what it means um it's archaic version of to permit someone to do something so he's like hey and one of his disciples said unto him lord suffer me first to go and bury my father and jesus's retort is this but jesus said unto him follow me and let the dead bury the dead. What do we mean? As we know, earth is a place of fallen into death, up, upward past the firmament into the outer realms of which we can't even fathom and understand at all. That's beyond categorization. We'll get to that next Sunday. That's, it. That's actual life, right? So we've fallen in this sense into death, okay? So when you concern yourselves solely with things of this earth, what you're doing is concerning yourself with dead things, okay? Now, what do we mean by, um, do I have this here? Sorry, give me a second. What do we mean by this? The people that are dead, in this sense, are concerning themselves with the things of this world, right? Things that only happen in this world. Money, power, prestige, physical pleasures, material wealth, influence, adoration, adulation, attention, get the red carpet rolled out, all of that sort of stuff. All of that is stuff that you can absorb and take into your world and be like, this is me, that sort of thing. Those people are fearful, 
They're worried. They're scared. They are not living in faith. They're not living in the presence of love. They're constantly worried about the end of the world. They're constantly worried about the World Economic Forum. They're constantly worried about Agenda 21. They're constant, etc. They're living in a state of constant fear. That's one of the things they're doing. They're, they're, they're um, identifying with the dead things of this world. And Jesus is saying, don't concern yourself with dead things of this world. What you should concern yourself with is what? Things that are eternal, which is what? Love. This is why Jesus goes around telling you, love your enemy, love this guy, love that, love, love him. That doesn't mean, as you can see, you don't rebuke evil, you don't call out nonsense. Jesus is doing it right here. So we, when we live in with eternal life, we walk in total confidence when we walk with Christ. That's what he's saying. Walk with You're not living in fear. You're not worried. You're not scared. You're living in total faith. And we're going to see he reiterates this in just a few verses. You're not concerned yourself with death and my power, any of that sort of stuff. When we walk, when we live in total confidence, we walk with Christ. Because Christ wants us to be confident. He wants us to understand that, guess what? When we live in faith, we realize, we know that something greater is taking care of us. How many times does Jesus repeat this throughout it? Okay. Then he's saying, um, let the dead bury the dead. Leave the dead to concern themselves with dead things. Like what? Like money and power and prestige and physical pleasures and material wealth and influence and adoration and all of those sorts of things. Those are all dead things. Fear, worry, And, um, oh, where am I here? Sorry. <clears throat> and Jesus said, follow me. <laughs> right? He's like, what would he, he what, didn't he just say he was everywhere, right? He's like, well, well, when you follow me though, and you actually follow eternal life, where is it? It's in the center. It's the entire cosmology. Literally the entire thing is built off the monad. Follow me and let, let the, let them take care of the earthly things. We're concerned with heavenly things. And when he entered into the ship, now, of course, we're right back into the stars again. What's the ship? As we know, I'm going to cover this pretty quick because we've discussed this before. But the ship is Argo Navis. It's the constellations. It's literally the constellations right by the Centurion, right by the Southern Cross. Excuse me. And this is the three um, constellations that make up Argo Navis. I'm not going to talk about this very much, but Navis is naval, Argo is ship. It's a ship in the seas and the waters above. So this is where Jesus is entering. He's entering into the ship and the disciples follow them. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And it says... And the disciples came unto him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. What does he say? Why are you fearful? Why are you fearful? You're living, you're living in the world. You're, you're scared of, you're, you're turning on the news every single day and be like, oh, there's a train wreck. Oh, there's a, Donald Trump's going to get in. Oh, World Economic Forum, did you see what this is going on? Oh my God, you are living in the fear of the world, Jesus is like, you have no faith. 
And he saith unto them, Why are you fearful? Why are you fearing all this stuff? Oh, ye of little faith. Remember when we talked about, you know, it was in Matthew where Jesus is, I think it was Matthew, where Jesus comes along and he's just like, Oh, you were, do I not feed the birds? Do I not clothe these people and you're worried about it? I take care of all of this stuff. A little storm comes around, right? And number one, you're fearing death. Well, if you if you're if you're a purified mind and you're not afraid of death, you're like, whoa! I've already recognized God is everywhere, which means you know I'm up and out of here. I'm going into eternal life. Why would I be scared of shit? It's like the Pope that dro- drives around with the Pope mobile. So in case somebody shoots him, what are you afraid of? Going to heaven? Is that what you're afraid of, Pope? <laughs> you dick. Jesus Christ. No, he's afraid of going to hell. That's why he's in a Pope mobile. Jesus is saying the same thing. What are you fearful of? You have no faith. You're running around scared of the end of the world, scared of the World Economic Forum and the Agenda 21 and this train wreck over here and what's this? What are you doing? You're concerning yourself with stuff down here when really all God wants you to do is concern yourself with what? His truth, which is not living in fear. Then he arose, ah, there it is again. He arose, arose, arise, Aries, and rebuked the winds and the seas. And there was a great calm. And of course, what's the lesson? Did you not think that God was going to take care of it? Who do you have faith in, the devil or God? Which one is it? Are you scared? Then you believe in the devil. Are you living in fear? Then then you, you got the devil all up in your business. Are you worried about the end of the world? Are you worried about dying? You got the devil all up in your business. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him, right? Okay, so let's get into where are they. Number one, on that Argo Navis, let's look at it a second, because this is this is necessary to understand the rest of the story. So they're in a ship, and on this ship is um, a constellation called Vela, and that's the sail. So there's a big sail on this ship, and it's called Vela. It means a sail. And this um, Jesus, right, once again, uh, the reference to Galilee, of course. Gale is a mad, frantic, bewitched wind. So when we look at the word Galilee, Galilee, Gale comes from Gale, which is a mad, frantic wind. Now, he just, there was just winds that were whipping around and all the disciples were scared. Oh, I don't have any faith. What's going to happen? I'm going to die. And then you're going to go to eternal life? What? And then on that side of the ship, so then it says a gale is, uh, there's a, a mad frantic wind, gale force wind. Then there's leeward, which is the side of a ship is the opposite to way, is the opposite in which the the wind is currently blowing. So you essentially, you have the wind blowing and the leeward is a place that's a protection against the wind, a mad frantic wind on the side of the ship, which is shelter from the wind. And Galilee, Gal, Gal, Galal is where actually the the Hebrew word, I think that's how you say that, Galal, means to roll or encircle. So let's put this together. Rolling and encircling, a mad frantic wind. The story is that, oh Jesus, there's all these winds that are coming and trying to kill us and stuff like that. And Jesus comes and stops it all. Rolling and encircling, mad, frantic winds. And that's exactly what's going on in the story. Let's read it again. Uh, Then rose, you rebuke the winds of the sea, and there was a great calm. So when we talk about Galilee, 
Gal is a uh, Lee is the side of a ship that's on the side of the in this sense against the not on the side of the wind. So sheltered from the wind, from the gale force wind. Where are you sheltered when things are galal whipping around, frantic, mad, frantic winds? Just like in a just like in the eye of a storm, where's the center or where's the calm? Where's the calm part? It's in the center. Right there. See that? There's this guy right here. That's your ship that they just entered in. Right by that ship is the Centurion and the Southern Cross. Right by that is a still point in the center in which the mad, galal, frantic winds are not kicking these guys about. They're centered. They're not taking, as Buddha would say, they're not taking the left path or the right path, right? They're taking the middle way. The calm in the center. Polaris... Just like this, this celestial pole that's in the center of the earth, Polaris represents the point in our cosmology, this center pole from south all the way to north, which represents you, of course. Polaris represents the point in our cosmology where the soul travels up and out of the firmament and into total unity with God. Total unity. After that is like, all words fail. We'll talk about that next week. And we'll give distinct geometry to help us understand that in our mind. Polaris represents this point in our cosmology. We're up and out of there. And in the center, just like in the eye of a storm, the storm is whipping around, galal, circle to a circle, gale, mad frantic winds, just as it's happening in the story. And Jesus is in the center being like, he's in the middle of the monad. He's in the middle of the monad, just as we say he is. Where's the Lord? It's in the center. What is Jesus telling you to do? In the other story, like it was, oh, we're following me. Go here and go there. Oh, low is here, low is there. No, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within you. This is why he says, why it says in Psalms 46.10, be still and know. Gnosis. Be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Exalted means on high. Where's, where's Polaris? When Jesus is right there, and there's like, hey, there's mad frantic galal winds whipping us around, he goes what? To the center. And that's why we like to know things. That's what, that's what, be still, be still and know. Know it. Uh, no is three one two four. That's an anagram for three one four two. If you take the vowels out of no, K N O W. I don't know why there's a K there, unless they wanted to encode some math. Take the vowel out. What do you have, ladies and germs? Three one four. And when he. Matthew 8, 28, and when he was come to the other side into the country of Gergenses, I think that's how you say that, Gergenses, I don't know. There met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. And when he was come to the other side, we'll get to that in just a second. So we already know where, where we are. We're on the ship. There's the Galilee. There's the center. We've got the centurion. We've got Jesus on the cross right there. And then he's saying, ah, we're going to go to the other side 
We're going to meet some people possessed with devils coming out of the tombs. Okay, let's go here. Once again, all celestial. First and... Ooh, these are probably in the wrong order. They are. Let's go here. Sorry. Um, when he was coming to the other side, he met uh, uh, into the country of Gergenses. He met two men possessed with the devils coming out of the tombs. First and foremost, let's look at what Gergenses means. Um, it means uh, Gergenes. I'm not sure I'm saying that incorrectly. Those who come from pilgrimage to fight. Okay. So um, there's that. And this Gerasa and Gadara, which, are, which is the root of this word, were cities to the east of the Sea of Galilee. And the river of Jordan. East of the Sea of Galilee and the river of Jordan. So what we're going to see is, number one, when we talked about Galilee and the, the mad frantic winds and the sail and the you know protection against the wind on the other side of the ship, we had directly the, uh, the, the relationship or the correlation to Argo Navis. What is right by Argonavis, literally right across there, is a large river called Aradanus. And Aradanus is one that actually travels down. It's literally from Orion. It, it goes south. And you can see, um, let's go here. So, well, let's stop here. This is the river Aradanus. It's a constellation. It's a river. Um, the Jordan River, actually Jordan means... To flow down or descend, it's a river that flows down or descends. This is exactly what Aradanus does, the river in our stars, that flows down or descends. It literally goes from the north and goes south. Then we see there's the Aradanus River going from the north all the way to the south. Then it says it goes into the tombs. So they go over from this area. They go, as it says, they go over to this place where there's tombs. Well, there are two tombs right in from the other side, as we'll see. I'll show this whole thing from where we are. They go to this other side, and there's two tomb, there's tombs, and there's this person that's possessed with devils. It's exactly what it says. Okay. There met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs. Well, uh, the two that are possessed with devils is Hercules and Ophiuchus. Why Ophiuchus, number one? Hercules and Ophiuchus in the in the story are actually brothers in this sense. Uh, in the Greek myth. Ophiuchus is the serpent handler. So he was possessed with devils. He's literally wrangling devils. And what is Ophiuchus? It's the star asterism of the coffin, the tombs. And I'll show you where they go when they come over to this area. Up there is Delphinus. You see this? So there's um, there's the sword of the spirit right there. There's Cygnus. There's your sword. There's the coffin of the tombs. Right right over there is Delphinus. And Delphinus is what? Its main asterism is known as Job's coffin. Delphinus is recognized for the diamond-shaped pattern formed by its brightest stars known as Job's coffin, which outlines the body of the celestial dolphin. Coffin, Delphinus. Job's coffin, Ophiuchus, a coffin. What's Ophiuchus doing? He's brothers of Hercules. What's Ophiuchus doing? It's, he's handling a snake. He's possessed by devils. 
met him too possessed, Hercules and Ophiuchus, coming out of the tombs, the coffin of Ophiuchus and the coffin of Delphinus. Sorry. So they went for, and it says they came onto the other side. So if you look to the right there, down there, there's a radness. Remember um, this, this place is right to the east of the Sea of Galilee and the River Jordan. The Sea of Galilee. What, where's the Sea of Galilee? Well, it's, there's, there's literally the veil, the, you know, the protection against the wind, the ship, and they're in the Sea of Galilee. What's right by that sea? The River Jordan. This is exactly where it says Gergenses is. Sea of Galilee and River Jordan. Then they go over to the other, and this said the other side, and where do they go? Into the tombs, which is what? Well, there's Ophiuchus. You can't see Delphina on, on you know, this side. Delphina's more north, but it's the coffins. It's literally a place in the stars. Okay. And behold, um, and then coming out of the exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass that way. Why are they exceeding fierce? Because it's friggin' Hercules, bro. This is Hercules. So, um, you, you, uh, can you see it there? No, you can't. Sorry. Let's see if I have another one. Uh, anyway, you get it. There's Hercules. This literally right there. Ophiuchus and Hercules. They were exceeding fierce. Yeah. They were a serpent handler and literally the hero in the stars. Um, sorry. Let me make sure I don't miss anything. And behold, they cried out saying, what have, what have we to do with thee, Jesus? Everything. Thou son of God, art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Jesus says this. And then, and so they're, they're, they're worried because Jesus is, the truth is coming and they can't handle it. And there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding. Now, of course, we just talked in the last live stream, Matthew 7, 6, where it said, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine. Mention of swine. And of course, we said that those are people. Those are people. Dogs, swine. That's what Jesus was calling people. Um, there was a good way off from them and, uh, and heard of many swine feeding. So the, so the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. Where are they now? As we'll see, they went from, there's Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, where the ship is on, right by the Jordan River, which is exactly where Gergenses is. Then they go over to this place where there's these two figures that are, you know, uh, besought by devils. That's Ophiuchus and Hercules. If you keep going, do you know where you're going to end up? The Big Dipper. Literally right as the story goes, literally right in line. You go from here, you go here, you go here. Next thing you know, you're at the Big Dipper. Why the Big Dipper? What do swine feed out of? Troughs. The word trough actually refers to the shape of a container and can mean anything that is low or hollowed out. In the olden days, people, like animals, ate from troughs, right? So the Big Dipper is a ladle or a big trough. Now, it even says that this is where the swine were feeding. And the Big Dipper, the Big Ladle, right? It's called the Big Bear. But you know what else it's known in, in, in lore? As a boar. It's a bit literally known as a boar or a bear, depending on, and I'll show you this in just a second. So that's a big trough. 
and where there's a boar or a swine. Where does this come from? Well, just as we mentioned, where are we right now? He went over to deal with these people that were what? Hercules and Ophiuchus. Do you know what? Where we And then the, literally the next thing, as you can see right there, the next thing over from there, there's the serpent holder on the very top right. You can see Serpa. There's Hercules. What's the next thing? It's literally the next, save for Draco, right? Hence why Hercules is dealing with all these serpents. Ophiuchus has got a serpent. Hercules has got Draco. You keep going. Do you know what you find? A big pig. Hercules, according to the myth, chased the boar round and round the mountain. What's the boar? Hercules chased the big bear, the big boar around the mountain. Where do swine feed? In a trough, in a big ladle, in a big <laughs> container. And it's literally bear and boar. And where's the mountain? It's exactly where we started this thing. Jesus came down from the mountain. What lives on mountains? Bears. The king and queen who live in the castle on the mountain. This is literally known as the mountain. So, there was a good way off swine feeding in the Big Dipper, the trough, the boar, the bear. So the devils besought him. Who are the devils? Ophiuchus. He's got a serpent. Hercules, what's right next to him? Draco. The devils. The devils besought him. Go into the way, herd of swine. And then, and he said unto them, go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, constantly talking about swine. As they Once again, people think, this is pigs. No, 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 no. No, no, no. These people. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place. There's the Big Dipper, which is pointing to the North Star. That's way up high in the mountain. Then, what happened? They, these swine ran down the mountain in a steep place and perished in the waters, in the sea. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possession of the devil. So this is like, so these people basically saw, you know, what, what was going on with with, uh, you know, Christ and his healing and, you know, that sort of stuff, right? And they kept, uh, they that kept them the fled, they went to their ways into the city and told everything. They literally was like, oh, this is what happened to everybody. And I say this, they went from, they went from, after they saw this, they went from pre-Malone. So before this, they were pre-Malone. And then after they saw this whole ordeal, they became post-Malone. And that is my official awful dad joke for this Sunday. You're welcome. Okay, so, and then let's just finish this baby off. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. City means pole. Polis is, I think it's Latin or Greek. Latin, I believe. Polis means city. And behold, the whole city came to meet Jesus. And where did they meet him? In the center, the polis. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. All right. That is going to do it for this afternoon or this morning. Thank you all for being here. You guys are good birds. I just want to let you guys know you guys are good birds. Did you enjoy that? Was it worth your time? 139. Hey, that is the 34th prime, I believe. Um, yes, Metropolis. Exactly. Aurorian, yes. Okay. All right. 137 watching now. That's the 33rd prime. 
Okay, you guys are good bites. You guys are very good birds. If you would like to support the good work that we do here, uh, next next Sunday is going to crush it. It's going to be really good because we're going to talk about, once again, I'm almost positive I'm going to do this, the geometry of good thinking. How to really um, establish a critically thinking mind using geometry and number as your foundation, okay? It's going to be tasty. So if you guys want to see this keep going, please become a good bird over at Subscribestar. You can become a Phoenix bird, an Aquila bird, and a Cygnus bird, or you can become Tama Pete My Bird. We've got a couple Tama Pete My Birds over there, and that's pretty awesome. So uh, once again, if you guys want to support the fine work, Venmo, buy me a coffee, Cash App. We really appreciate it. And of course, uh, Snail Mail. Um, Kevin McNally, N17178, Country Pride Drive, Pembine, Wisconsin, 54156. And like I said, we are going to be doing... Um, Tuesdays with Marty now, and I think we're going to go on about 7 o'clock at night, something like that, do an hour, hour and a half. As soon as that's done, it's pretty much going to go over to Rockfin because I'm I'm essentially trying to create some content for Rockfin now. So we're not going to keep any of that stuff on YouTube. We're not keeping anything on YouTube. It's just the place that we are, you know, um, and people can get us. But So that will be for people that do sign up at Rockfin. So if you don't catch it, you've got to go to Rockfin and pay, but... It is what it is. I mean, I don't have a site anymore, so we just do what we can. So we'd like to say thank you to Content Safe for getting us on BitChute, Rumble, and Odyssey. And we are streaming to YouTube Rockfan, and I believe we're streaming to uh, Odyssey this morning. And you can get this fine service at the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. That's called the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. And you can get the Sunday sermons right there, along with a lot of good stuff. And if you would like to support the work, we have uh, books for sale for hardcover books. We sign that we sell. We do the Marty Leeds archives. Um, we've got music, uh, that sort of stuff. So, all right, guys, thank you so much. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking, oh, for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. You know what? Before we go, though, I got to say thank you to all the people that sent donations and things, don't I? That would be appropriate. Um, do you, Jennifer? Yes, it's there. It is there. All right. We would like to say thank you so much to all the people that, um, that support. You guys are awesome. It's a small group, but the, the, you guys have been really supporting lately and it's, it's, it's really great. We've got a heck of a year ahead. Um, like I said, another book, we're doing a children's book next, um, and that's going to be good. And I got to get on that. But so we'll be doing a children's book and there's a lot going on this year. We're moving. We're, we, we just, we actually, we just uh, signed the papers on our place in Missouri. So here we go. So it's going to be a crazy year. So thank you all to the people that show up and do support. Crystal Rose, Jared Martin, Daniel Hager, Gen X Rated, Cameron Keene, Construction Productions, Rachel Carpenter, Carrie Musgrave, Jamie Butler-Greeley, Derek Holloway, J.M. Grassi, Lindsay Chapman, Angela Morris, Shannon Seal, Matthew Melilio, Gavin, Garrett Rudolph. Those are all the people. Oh, and Mr. Jared Poole uh, that I forgot to thank, I think, last week. So thank you. Uh, subscribe star, Lindsay Chapman, J-Lo, Samurai Deadpool. J-Lo follows us, really? No, that's L-J-Lo. I'm sorry. So Adam H., Harvey Brown, Paige, uh, Sage Bear, Daniel Petrillo, Shannon Seal, Jen Pious, The Ancient Order. Congratulations to Jen and Chase, by the way. Uh, Jamie Diana, yeah, Jamie Diana, interesting, Cynthia Holtzman, Perspective 96, Bobby, Jared Poole, Anders Olberg, Javier, Anderson, A. Cat. okay, Horace tipped $5, Angie A. tipped $5, good morning, thank you, Anders Olberg, 
Blessings. Thank you. Mark Brotherson says, here's to the old days when Marty had a whiteboard and an overhead camera showing us how the Holy Grail is in our own very hands. Thanks, brother man. I should bring back the whiteboard. Who wants more whiteboard, huh? I was thinking about that, about doing a few live streams because there's a bunch of little things that I would like to just do shorts on, some math stuff that, you know, that could be good. So, um, Heather, Lindsay, the books are unbelievably beautiful and appreciated. Thank you so much. I'm very proud of those books. They should be on your shelf if you don't have them. Um, Patriot Astrologer, love Sunday mornings now. Thank you so much, Patriot Astrologer. Alicia Crawford, thank you so much. John Vina, great teaching today. Thank you so much. Mr. Poole for Birdseed. Thank you so much, Mr. Jared Poole. My Lord, God bless you. Uh, Virginia Murray, thank you so much. Carmen Taylor, Auntie Jake, always in there crushing it. Thank you, girl. Love you. Small Axe. Thank you, Marty and Jen. Thank you so much. Crystal Rose, God bless you. Jen G. That's Jenny G. the Pious. She is no longer Jen Brew the Pious. She's Jen Grew the Pious now. We'll have to come up with a new name. Bought three coffees. Gratitude. Sunday mornings never fail to inspire me. Crushing. Allison Flynn bought three coffees. Thank you so much. Okay. God bless everybody. Thank you for supporting. Uh, we're going to listen to a track by... Mr. Greg Arcade going out. Mr. Greg Arcade. You guys know Mr. Greg Arcade? GregArcade.com. It's an official website. Right now, he is doing a um, a show. If you're up in the great state of Canada, as I like to say, he is doing a show, and it is um, he's basically raising money for the four guys that were arrested in Alberta, the, the Coots Four. You guys know this? These guys are 111% political prisoners under the Justin Trudeau regime. They're still being held for what happened with the whole, you know, uh, trucker convoy and shit like that. It's it's a complete joke. And so they're and so the community is really getting together and, you know, trying to support these people with, you know, money and and lawyers and all this other stuff. So, Mr. Greg Arcade is playing a show on April 8th in Alberta to uh, help these guys out. So I think uh, most of the money or all the money's literally going to these guys and their, you know, their lawyers and all this other stuff. So if you want, you can order tickets at gregarcade.com. If I could go, I would totally be there uh, just to support. They're 50 bucks. It's all going to them. There's going to be food and Greg's going to play a bunch of his new songs. And we're going to listen to one today off his new EP. So, and it's called Go Down Swinging and it's very nice. Very nice. Okay, guys, thank you so much. I will see you on Tuesday. Tuesdays from now on, I think about 7 o'clock, we're going to do Tuesdays with Marty, open forum, play some guitar, have a laugh. So, okay, I will do it official now. All right, uh, let's do this. May you Let's do it twice. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. Okay, let's do it. Guys, I will see you on the flip side. See you, t see you Tuesday. Thank you to all the people that do support what we do here. We'd love to keep it going, and we can't do it without you. So thank you so much. All right, guys. As always, many blessings and much love to all. Let's rock out with Mr. Some, uh, with some Mr. Greg Arcade. All right, love you. Beside the highway She'd been living out her car Since the government took her job Coerced to comply Or they were letting her go She knew money wasn't worth Giving up her soul Alone on the road She's scared of where she
Trust in God, she just turned up the tea.